Christmas, everybody, and welcome to a very festive episode of This Is Getting Graphic. I am, of course, your first host, Phil Oberholzer, who is always on the naughty list. <laughs> and I am your other holly jolly host, Andrew Kilpatrick. And uh, today we are continuing our Christmas festivities by discussing a uh, Marvel holiday comic, which I am, I am very excited about. <laughs> I am very thankful for that because it means we're not going to get Dr. Grouch and Mr. Meanie back. <laughs> Anyone who's listened to our last episode knows who I'm talking about with these characters and their insane, rambling, evil plots. You mean like plot number, how many plots do they wind up with? Like 10 by the end of it? I think, and we, anyone who's listened to the episode again can check, I think we hit seven by the end of it. <laughs> there, there were a lot of evil plans. Uh, luckily, we're, uh, we're moving forward from the, uh, from the Golden Age for this one, because uh, this one uh, takes place... Uh, we're, we're doing an X-Men story today, first off. Hell yes, which I bet you are very excited about. Oh, hella excited about, because it's also the first time on the show that we're... Uh, Getting the chance to talk about uh, Chris Claremont, who, um, I know you've heard me discuss Chris Claremont in the past. That feels like a lovely transition. Get comfortable, folks, for when I say this. <clears throat> Andrew, who is Chris Claremont? Why, I'm glad that you asked! <laughs> so, Chris Claremont um, is... The writer who basically defined the X-Men. Like, everything that you think of as, uh, as the X-Men, uh, most of it was defined by Chris Claremont. The characters, the situations, the, uh, the ideas. A lot of it was Claremont in, uh, in its execution. And this was because, like, uh, after the comics that we've previously covered, uh, of X-Men, um, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby left fairly soon afterwards, and, um, the comic was kind of, uh, floundering a little bit in terms of sales and different creative teams. It had a bit of a resurgence when, uh, Neil Adams started doing the penciling towards the, uh, towards the end of the 60s, but, um, unfortunately it wasn't enough to save the book, and it was cancelled with issue 66. Boo! Yeah. So, um, it, uh was brought back as a reprint title where it was basically they were republishing old X-Men stories and then um towards the uh around 1975 um Len Wayne comes along and he's a writer who um decides that he wants to do an international team of superheroes and they say you know what would be a great concept for that would be the X-Men so, oh, is this where we start getting the concept of there being mutants, like, all over the world? Exactly, yeah. Like, it's something that oh, had been... Cool. Yeah, it's something that had been discussed in the Lee Kirby books and in, uh, you know, uh, subsequent things. But this was where it really popped off, because, like, the entire team was, uh, was international. Like, it added Storm, who was from Kenya. It added Wolverine, who was from Canada. Nightcrawler from Germany. Colossus from the Soviet Union. So, That's um, right. Yeah. And so I forgot that, the Soviet Union was still a thing at this time. Yeah, and that that was a big deal in and of itself. Actually, was having a Soviet superhero in uh, in your book, which uh, Colossus was the sweetest person on that team. More he really is. Every story I've seen with Colossus, kind of outside, even in the Deadpool movies, Colossus is a lovable delight. He's just a nice guy, which is in some ways his downfall. Um, there are a lot of things that I could say about Colossus that I'm not going to go into right now, but, um... <laughs> but you know what? 
I always appreciate when a hero is just a nice dude. I love Captain America, especially Chris Evans' uh, Captain America in the movies. Right. Just for being a nice, decent, wholesome guy. Because yeah. you see so many heroes, especially nowadays, that are super edgy and or have some sort of like tragic thing behind them. Which, you know, character writing. But it's, sometimes it's just nice to get back to basics and have a good Clark Kent... Steve Rogers, Mm -hmm. Colossus, just a nice, good, wholesome dude that wants to do right in the world. Well, he's a little more edgy now than he used to be, partially because of his uh, entire slaughtered family and his um, demon sorceress sister, but, you know, it's uh, it's a whole thing. Uh, Well, I hear she's doing okay. She's alright, magic's great. Uh, But so anyway, um, Len Wayne and uh, artist Dave Cockrum uh, revived the X-Men as this international team, and then, uh, and they did that in Giant Size X-Men number one, which is a book we'll be looking at at some point down the line. But I'm um, guessing it's going to be Attack of the 50-Foot X-Men? Yeah, they are huge. Because, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but so, yeah, after Giant Size uh, was a success, after that, uh, the title was relaunched with um, X-Men 93, uh, and, um, Chris Claremont took over from Len Wayne as writer and stayed there for 16 years. <laughs> so... And as he did, we could all hear the Empire March from Star Wars playing. <laughs> yeah, essentially, um, Chris Claremont was the X-Men and was the mutant line for a very, very long time. Like, even any, like, spin-off books that came from the X-Men, New Mutants, uh, X-Factor, Excalibur, all of those were, um, Chris Claremont was either involved initially or wrote them initially, so, uh, Chris, Chris Claremont, very much powerful. And so our story today is, um, Uncanny X-Men number 143, which uh, is smack dab in the middle of the Claremont run. It was published in uh, December 1980, so we've still got 11 years to go in Claremont's tenure on the book. Well, we know we're getting into the craziest part of the years because it's the fucking 80s. Yes, absolutely. And also, where this sits in continuity is, um, basically, this is the issue right after Days of Future Past has happened. So, oh, um, oh, yeah. So, so people are going through some stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, basically, what's happened is um, Kitty's just had her body possessed by her future self for a hot minute, and um, they fought the Brotherhood of Mutants in um, the new Brotherhood of Mutants, not Magneto's. This is Mystique's Brotherhood of Mutants uh, in Washington, D.C., where they tried to assassinate Senator Kelly, which led into a nightmare dystopic future, and they managed to stop that, so, you know. Somewhere in his office, Professor Xavier is writing up his schedule, going, just going to extend group therapy for an extra hour this week. Oh, you act like Charles Xavier has anyone in therapy. That's fair, he's just gonna stick him in his death chamber and make them dodge (laughs) saw blades. Exactly. And, um, also having happened, like, a couple months before that is the Dark Phoenix Saga. So they're all still kind of reeling from oh! all that stuff in the oh, midst of this. okay! And you think you've had a bad week. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So, uh, we'll, we'll see some elements in here, because, um, one other thing that Chris Claremont did for comics was he revolutionized, like, the, uh, the long-term plotting um for comic books so like things he would put like little threads in an issue that wouldn't come back for like 
five or ten issues and have it completely just, you know, upend things. And like, so, so he was kind of the father of the overarching plot when it comes to comic books. Essentially, yeah, he was he was one of the pioneers of it. Uh, him and Marv Wolfman over on Teen Titans uh, at DC. So, um, yeah. I bet Marvel fucking adores him for that because that started the trend of everybody needing to buy, like, 20 comics at a time to follow a story <laughs> oh yeah yeah no he uh he did a lot and um also i would like to mention before we get into the actual comic the artist on this thing who is um another legendary figure in the comics field uh john byrne and um john byrne uh was the artist on x-men from i think it was issue like 106 somewhere thereabouts after dave cockram left the book um john byrne took over for him and um, mm -hmm. John Byrne uh, was integral to the process as well because um, he became a co-plotter on the book. Uh, so he and Chris uh, would... Normally, you know, with an, a writer-artist relationship at this point, uh, you would... The writer would, you know, write off his script and send it to the artist who would pencil it. And basically the artist would not really have a lot of, uh, you know, um, input into the plot. However, uh, John Byrne and Chris Claremont developed this relationship where they were co-plotting the book together, which... Oh, um, good. Yeah, yeah, and it, um, it really showed in some ways, but also, they both found it a bit frustrating at times, because, um, Chris Claremont had one idea about who these characters were, and John Byrne had another... And so sometimes they would, you know, clash on that. And this, in fact, is the, uh, is the last issue of their partnership... Um, this oh, one that we're covering no. today. This is what broke them up? <laughs> well, um, I mean, the, the strain of, you know, plotting the stories of, like, Days of Future Past and the Dark Phoenix Saga, which, the Dark Phoenix Saga, they fundamentally disagreed on how it should end, so... Okay. Um, yeah, I, I don't remember exactly who thought what, but one of them thought that it was wrong to kill Gene. I think it was John Byrne, um, but Chris Claremont, meanwhile thought that she had to die for her crimes. So, um, like... Even though character... she wasn't in control of her body? Well, he... Fa well, at this point, um, she was, though. Like, oh. there are certain retcons that have made the Phoenix and Jean, like, separate entities, but, um, it, where it was at this point was that Jean ha had been corrupted by her power, and everything that Dark Phoenix had done was Jean. So it was, um, you know, a complicated situation. And Chris Claremont felt that she was irredeemable for this and that she did have to die for her crimes, I believe. Cool. Yeah. So um, that, in addition to, you know, just the difficulty of plotting this book together, led John Byrne to uh, depart the book, which he landed on his feet. He became the writer and artist on Fantastic Four after this, so uh, he was fine. Oh, good! I sure am glad he moved to that fucking book. <laughs> well, John Byrne actually had a pretty legendary run on Fantastic Four. He was on the book for uh, for a very, very long time. When things are legendary with the Fantastic Four, it's not a good kind of legendary. Oh, I mean it this time. This this was fine. <laughs> it's like calling it's like calling a volcano eruption epic. <laughs> All right. So, um I think that's probably uh, enough background to uh, launch us into this here. So, uh let's go ahead and take a look at the actual issue. Uh Uncanny X-Men number 143. X-Men 
Let's do it. All right. So here we are with our uh, with our cover. Uh, oh, what the fuck! <laughs> oh, I knew that you would love this cover. <laughs> um, Andrew, this is still a Christmas episode, right? Oh, it is. It uh, it takes place at Christmas. Oh yeah, I can see a tiny little Christmas tree in the bottom left corner, <laughs> but these. The cover appears to be dominated by something much more than that. Which is? Well, in the foreground, we've got what appears to be Kitty Pride. That's correct. That's Kitty. Is that yep. Kitty Pride? Okay. Yeah, I that's didn't know Kitty. if that was Kitty yep. or if that was in, like, if that was Jean in a costume, I didn't know she was in. No, Jean's dead. Uh, Jean is still canonically <laughs> dead. Okay. Jean's dead. <laughs> it's comics. I didn't know if she was alive again by this point. Oh, she was quite dead. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, whoo! She is dead. <laughs> so and, yeah, that, uh, that is Kitty. Looming behind her in the background is what appears to be Pumpkinhead. <laughs> it, it is a monster that looks like a xenomorph, and the Grinch had a baby. You know, it, it is funny that you should mention um, the xenomorph because um, interviews, later interviews with John Byrne. Uh, stated that um, Chris Claremont intended this issue to be um, a bit of an homage to uh, to Alien. Yeah, I can fucking see it. And an homage to Alien at Christmas? At Christmas. Now, well, Andrew, I don't know how long it's been since you've seen the Alien movies, but I'm going to give you a slight spoiler. In every single one of those movies, there isn't a fucking Christmas tree. <laughs> Well, let me tell you something, buddy. And um, this is uh, this is my Christmas gift to you this year, is covering essentially a horror comic, because for our Halloween episode, I let us cover a Christmas comic. What? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you shouldn't have. I love it. It is just my size. Well, there you go then. And it still connects to the Christmas season as well. And, um, so... We're doing Christmas horror? We are doing Christmas horror. Oh, fuck, we're doing Christmas horror. <laughs> oh, I'm excited. Okay, I'm, I'm fully in. Thousand percent in. So also on this cover, we have the, uh, the tagline, which reads, Merry Christmas, X-Men. Guess what just came down the chimney? I knew I shouldn't have brought that weird black slimy egg home. <laughs> Turns out it wasn't a good stocking stuffer. Oh no, not again. I really love the shading on this cover too. Like, it looks like Kitty's holding a flashlight. Uh, she is, And yeah. the light from the flashlight casts like the back end of this creature in this creepy looking fucking shadow. Oh, it's It's like really it's coming cool. out of the darkness at her. I love that. It is wonderful, and I hope you find the story equally as wonderful here. What say we hop into it? Let's do it. Let's just say I'm glad that Kitty can phase through solid objects, because she's going to have to phase through some teeth in a second. Uh, well, we'll see what happens. So, uh, we open on a uh, splash page of um, Storm being stabbed through the chest by oh, a, uh, no! glowing sphere, a glowing spear oh, wheel no! wielded by a bunch of purple demons. 
<laughs> so, I, at first, I was going to say it looks like she's in the middle middle of her Queen cover band concert. And then I saw the harpoon through her chest. Yeah. So, um, one thing that I did not mention is that um, this issue that is... That storm fucking dies. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, this issue is a follow-up to um, a previous X-Men issue. Um, X-Men 96, which I also reread in preparation for this episode, just so I didn't get any of the details wrong. Uh, basically what happened in that issue is, um, Cyclops, uh, mourning the death of his teammate Thunderbird, who had, uh, died in the previous issue, um, lets off an optic blast in the middle of, like, the woods near the Xavier Institute, and he hits this, uh, obelisk that, um, apparently was laid there by... Demons from another dimension. Um, oh, just many... randomly in this random copse of trees. That's what I'm saying, right? So, uh, yeah. So, um, he releases um, several of these demons. Uh, they're called the Ingari. And um, they were released into the world. And then... So, basically, what we're looking at now is a flashback to those events... Um, drawn from, drawn by John Byrne. This was still when Dave Cockrum was on the book, so, uh, Byrne didn't do this. So this is basically this happening again, um, under John Byrne's pencil. Okay, I, I dig the updated art style. Weirdly enough, like, I know they've been to hell multiple times, but I still have <laughs> such a hard time associating the X-Men with demons. They got it a feels lot of, weird they got to a me. lot of demons, buddy. A and lot they do of demons. Have a, fuck ton of demons i think it's because the mutants are all about like genetic mutations and like things going on with the human body and then suddenly hell there's just as much magic and like weird shit that goes on with the x-men as as genetic mutation trust me i gotta say i i hate i fucking love storm and i hate that she's dying in this panel <laughs> she looks she looks fucking fabulous as she dies. <laughs> she is dying like a... She's dying like I'd imagine Tina Turner would die if she got stabbed through the chest. <laughs> she looks excellent, and she always has. She looks like she's hitting the last fucking note on rolling down the river. <laughs> Whereas she's actually just going... That's a pro tip to all you singers out there. How do you hit those Tina Turner high notes? Throw a harpoon through your chest. <laughs> Thanks, Ngarai. <laughs> so, so yeah, we, we're flashing back to these events where basically um, Storm, after being stabbed, um, goes ahead and lets loose... Um, well, at first, the Angari are trying to drag her into their own dimension through the uh, through the portal that is contained in the uh, in the obelisk. And um, did she just fucking shrug off that harpoon through the heart? She does that. No, she well, she shouldn't. She's got weather powers. <laughs> she's good. She's fine. Why? <laughs> she shouldn't be. She's not fine. Tis but a scratch. A scratch. Your arms off. No, it isn't. She's doing okay. As I say as I stare at a panel of her getting dragged into hell. Essentially, yeah. So uh, what she does is to uh, get these creatures off her and to destroy the obelisk, she throws down a massive um, bolt of energy and completely shatters the obelisk, which uh, they believe uh, destroys the portal to the Angari's dimension. Let me guess. Instead, it busted it wide open. Uh... 
No, it, uh, it, it did, uh, seal it. However, um, something was left behind. Is it Xenomorph Grinch? Um, it might be. So, um, after we see Storm destroy this, uh, this obelisk, we see, uh, time passing, the, uh, the seasons change, because this was, like, right before Christmas, the last time this happened, so, Oh, um, so it's been, like, a whole year. Uh, yeah, and a lot has happened in that year. Uh, they went to space, they saved the universe, uh, Gene almost destroyed the universe, uh, Gene died, they did some time travel shenanigans, so a lot's happened in that year. Storm got the hole in her fucking chest patched up? Yeah, that was nice of them. <laughs> but so All we needed was a band-aid. Weird, huh? Yeah. But so, um, at the end of this uh, changing of the seasons, we do see uh, one of the demons, far larger than any of the ones that Storm was fighting, loping across this wintry scene. And Where have the... you been for a year? Your friends got... Your friends got fucking deep fried like months ago. <laughs> He's just been kind of hanging out. And the caption reads, Professor Xavier believed that destroying the cairn would forever seal the gateway between the Angari dimension and Earth. He was wrong. Like Professor X is about so many things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good old Chuck. I wonder if they got him a a a sea vaca a seaside vacation this year. I was gonna say he can't think clearly off of his boat. <laughs> All right, so um we we cut to um a young couple, Douglas and Ellie, who are um near this property here, and they are going to cut down a Christmas tree. Uh, we learn that it is their first Christmas together as a oh, uh, no. as a married couple, and so they're they're going to uh, cut down this Christmas tree. So Andrew, just... there's a mon- This is a fucking horror movie. I know what happens <laughs> to these two. They're they're just you know having a, having a good time. They're flirting. Uh... It's about to be a very bad time. <laughs> Doug says some uh, you know some very naughty things, and then they hear some rustling in the trees next to them. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. So Doug moves in and takes a look, and he is abruptly grabbed by this demon. Hey, honey, I got you an anniversary gift. It's pain. <laughs> and the caption reads, For Douglas Moore, death is virtually instantaneous. Oh, Jesus. Holy his, fuck. His wife has time for a choked cry that is ended as quickly as abruptly as her life. And when the oh killing is and when the killing is done, the Nagarai feasts on both body and soul. I'm just gonna come out and say it. That is probably the most metal thing we have covered <laughs> on this show yet. Oh yeah. Oh I'm man. so invested. That is the most metal thing I ever heard in my whole life. High five. Chris Chris writes effective horror. He does. Also, Doug's death does not look quick. He looks like he has had time to fully process what is happening to him before he dies. Oh, I've wasted my life. <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't have married this bitch. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, second page, uh, two people are dead, um, so that's fun. Merry Christmas, everyone! 
Um, so, the, so Ooh, from boy. so from there, uh, we cut to um, the X Mansion, where the caption reads. Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house, the X-Men are stirring. It's been a quiet... They want out of this house! (laughs) It's been a quiet month since their battle in Washington, D.C. with the new Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, and they've spent the time catching their breath, honing old skills, learning new ones. No day, no opportunity is wasted, which is why even on Christmas Eve, Kitty Pride, the newest and youngest member of the team, must spend an hour under Professor Xavier's instruction, in addition to her schoolwork, learning all there is to know about the X-Men, their abilities, their equipment. Professor, don't you think we should put in some defensive mechanisms in case a demon shows up? Oh, Kitty, when are we ever going to deal with that again? (laughs) Remember that can was destroyed, silly. (laughs) <laughs> Everyone knows we're perfectly safe as there's a news bulletin on the TV in the background showcasing the grisly murder of this couple. <laughs> um, they're walking through the ignition sequence for the Blackbird, which is uh, their jet. And um, as they do so, uh, Angel walks in and says, Professor, the car is ready. It's uh, getting late. Time for you to go to bed, Grandpa. <laughs> And, um, Kitty goes, Uh, hiya, Angel. Talk about your timely interruptions. I feel like I could build our Blackbird jet out of spare parts with my eyes closed. Kitty, I shan't be satisfied until you can. (laughs) And so the abuse of Charles Xavier continues. (laughs) New generation of- If you can't build this model with your eyes shut, you're going into the buzzsaw chamber. (laughs) New generation of kids, same corporal punishment. I hope you can dodge flamethrowers with your eyes closed. And Angel even goes, We all went through the grinder, kid. Now it's your turn. And this is the easy part. With any luck, you might just get through it alive. Angel, need I remind you that there's a flame jet in there with your name on it? Yes, sir. Sorry, sir. You're damn right you are. (laughs) Grandpa needs his boat. (laughs) So, uh, from there, we cut to, um, downstairs, where, uh, we see the rest of the X-Men, uh, well, some of them, anyway. We've got, uh, Colossus and Wolverine, and, uh, we, Kitty and, uh, Charles come in, and, uh, Wolverine says, Prof, I'd like to introduce you my, uh, lady, Charles Xavier, Mariko Yashida. Oh, he's seeing Mariko! He is, yeah, they, uh, they made their acquaintance during the, uh, the world tour arc, uh, wherein basically everybody thought they were dead and they were stranded in Antarctica for reasons. So, uh, they were basically making their way home by stopping in various countries around the globe. And one of those stops was Japan, and that's where Logan met Mariko. Nice! I love this couple. They're really cute. Oh, yes. They, they very much are. And I, uh, I would like to point out that, uh, Chris Claremont has her speaking Japanese here. And, uh, can, I, I wonder if you might be able to give me a hand here, because this is written out very phonetically, but I'm not as familiar with, you know, Japanese as, as you are, by any means, so I wonder if perhaps you could tell me what it is she might be saying here. It looks to be a, I'm not going to attempt to say it and sure. possibly offend anybody, right, but right. It, looks like, it looks like a typical greeting. It looks like it's a version of saying hello. Oh, okay, okay. That, like, that hello, makes sense nice then. to meet you. Okay, good. That makes sense, then. 
So, um, yeah, so this is the first time that Charles has been introduced to uh, Mariko, so it's, uh, it's a nice, uh, nice little greeting there. Okay, that, that makes perfect sense. Okay, so um, as this is going on, uh, Nightcrawler um, shows up and holds a piece of mistletoe over Mariko's head and says, Long time no see, and you look as beautiful as ever, as he gives her a little peck on the cheek. Wolverine then proceeded to skin Kurt alive. It's funny you should say that, because um, <laughs> immediately after this, uh, Logan pulls out his claws and yells out, Back off, elf! What do you think you're doing? Mariko's my lady! And uh, tries to slash at him, uh, with Kurt teleporting out of the way. And a series of loud caveman grunts emanates from the Xavier house. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, Colossus uh, turns into his metal form and um, holds Wolverine back, yelling at him that, you know, Kurt is their friend. And Charles, meanwhile, enters into his mind and goes, Wolverine, sheathe your claws. Kurt meant no harm. You know that his was an innocent Christmas greeting, not some enemy's attack. I mean, for God's sakes, man, it's not like he stuck his tongue down her throat. It was just a nice peck on the cheek, Logan. Jesus Christ! Is somebody not feeling confident in their relationship? Do you need an hour in the flame jet? <laughs> you know what? Sometimes a good flamethrower is all the therapy you need. Hey, for Logan, that might actually help. Oh, God, it would. <laughs> you know, I spent the last 45 minutes getting my flesh burned off, and it really opened up some insights for me. <laughs> the first one being I don't like having my flesh burned off. So, um, Logan uh, calms down after this, and he just goes, I guess the old ways, the old habits, die a lot harder than we figured. Mine are a killer's instincts. Always have been, always will be. I thought... I hoped that could be changed. I was wrong. Are we really doing this after Nightcrawler just gave his girlfriend a tiny kiss on the cheek? Why are we having this emotional journey out of nowhere? You have to understand that this is how Chris Claremont works. Chris Claremont is very much a soap opera-y kind of writer as well. So... Ow, I stubbed my toe. I should have worn shoes. My father loved shoes. <laughs> oh God, why didn't I stop that train? You, you, you laugh, but there are a lot of Claremontian narrations that are a lot like that. It's it's like such shoehorned in drama. Basically, yeah. So upon seeing this, um, Kitty thinks to herself, mm, "Mood here has gotten a wee bit heavy. I don't know if I should, but I'm gonna try to lighten it up a little." And she picks up Kurt's mistletoe, puts it over Colossus's head, and uh, kisses him on the cheek and goes, Merry Christmas, sexy. Aw, cute. She's 13 years old. Aw, very not cute. <laughs> Never <he's>... mind. <laughs> you want to explain yourself? Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely talk about the Kitty Colossus relationship in, in the future. And, um, so... Sweetie, please never say the word sexy again until you're five years older. So naturally, um, Colossus starts to blush, and Kurt chimes in with, Why are you blushing? <laughs> no! Stop Kurt, it! Kurt chimes in with, Good thing you only kissed him on the cheek, kitten. Anywhere else and he'd have probably dropped dead from shock. As would all of us, he'd also be in jail. <laughs> and Peter responds, You know, Kurt, I am beginning to regret rescuing you just now. Are you indeed? 
<laughs> Only because I am pointing out the truth? Why are you afraid of it? <laughs> Is there something illicit about this? Do you need an hour in the flame chamber? <laughs> Only I may make those offers. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Sorry, sir. <laughs> okay. So, um... <laughs> So then Storm enters and lets them know that she's brought the car around. And so uh, everybody kind of uh, gets into the car for a nice uh, night on the town. And um, Angel uh, departs for an evening with his girlfriend, Candy Southern. And um, Kitty is uh, left alone in the house. Oh, good. A sweet, innocent girl left alone in a dark manor house with a monster running around outside. What monster? You know what, fair. I don't know what I'm talking about. Proceed. <laughs> it's a Christmas comic. Anyway. It's a Christmas comic, everybody. <laughs> so, uh, Kitty, um, decides, uh, Kitty's feeling a little homesick because this is the first Christmas, or, well, not Christmas, really. She's Jewish, so she's talking about Hanukkah and how she's never oh, cool. spent it away from, uh, from her home before. And so, uh, she's, you know, wondering how her parents are doing, so she decides to pick up the phone and, uh, give them a call. And, um, unfortunately, they don't pick up. So, uh, she, you know, leaves a little bit dejected, and then the phone rings again, and she picks it up, and she's like, Mom? Dad? Oh, it's you. Sorry. Hi, Scott. <laughs> oh, God damn it! it's just you, Cyclops. <laughs> How dare you? The reaction you? everyone has is when Cyclops shows up. <laughs> so, uh, Cyclops has been away from the, from the mansion for a while at this point, um... Since Gene's death, he's kind of been doing some soul-searching on the road, you know, trying to figure out what he wants to do with his life. So, uh... Looking yeah. for some fake Matt Murdock sunglasses. <laughs> oh. I'll be totally honest, for a brief second I forgot Scott existed, and I thought that was <laughs> Matt Murdock. You were really excited to get some Daredevil in this X-Men comic. I was! He looks like Matt Murdock in this suit. It's the suit. It's the fact that he has the red glasses in the suit. <laughs> I guess that makes sense. So, uh, yeah, Kitty, uh, talks to him about, um, you know, do you remember who I am? And Scott's like, of course I remember you, Kitty. How are things? Oh, no one's home but you? I see. Well, uh, give everyone my love, wish them a Merry Christmas, and tell them I'll try to phone again tomorrow. Bye, Kitty. You're Take the only care. one there in that big manor house on a holiday? Sucks to be you, I guess. <laughs> Man, uh, I wish that I were you, because then I would actually have somewhere to live. <laughs> Ouch. It sure is great not having a house to blow up with my eye beams. So, uh, we, we stay with Scott for a minute after he hangs up the phone, and uh, he's thinking to himself, Oh, poor kid. She sounded really lonely. I know the feeling. I had too many Christmases like that growing up in the orphanage. You see what I mean also about my... the about the narration? I was gonna say, also my wife is dead. <laughs> Why That's the other... kind of important, and it happened more recently. <laughs> I know. Like, it's a shame that he's not focusing on that tragic event that just happened in his life. But no, the orphanage. Why'd the others leave her, though? That's not like the X-Men at all. Isn't it? <laughs> None of them are jerks. I was gonna say, their track record kind of shows them being not great to their female team members. <laughs> well, that was the old team. This one's fine. Yeah, fine. A lot of them are dead. One got harpooned through the chest, and she's surprisingly fine. Oh, she's good. 
Um, we so- got Storm a synthetic heart for Christmas. <laughs> it works perfectly. <laughs> Apparently it does. So uh, Scott then makes his way over to uh, a fishing boat where he goes, Excuse me, I'm looking for Lee Forrester, captain of the Arcadia. I was told he was hiring crew. And um, from this boat, uh, a woman pops up and takes the wool cap off her head and goes, I'm Lee Forrester, elitist to my relatives, and you heard right. To which Scott responds, You're a girl! (laughs) (laughs) I see what's going on here. This boat has been taken over by a mermaid! (laughs) Better shoot it with my eye blasts! (laughs) How else am I going to make a living other than fishing with my eye beams? (laughs) Well, to be fair, I'm not sure the Xavier Institute actually gave him any marketable skills. I just love that it turns out she happens to be a woman, and Scott's reaction is, "Ooh!" <laughs> so after that, she goes, "Care to try again, sport?" Uh, I'm sorry. I mean, I. So, so Scott's just stammering over his words here. And she's oh, just like, I get it. The boat has a kitchen on it. And she's just like, "Apology accepted." Uh, Scott. Scott Summers. Come on aboard, Scott. We'll split a pot of coffee and talk. I can hear Scott's boner from here. (laughs) Well, uh, yeah, he and Lee did have a little bit of a thing uh, in in the following issues, so... Yeah. Well, guess we can christen this boat the SS Rebound Ass. (laughs) Well, this is actually the last we see of Scott in this book, so... uh... You know, who knows I'm what I'm kind he's of doing. thankful for that. No, Considering really. that's how he greets a surprise woman, I kind of don't want to see him anymore. <laughs> Man, I can't wait to get it on this boat. Oh, titties! End of Scott. <laughs> and there goes Scott. So we cut back to the mansion where uh, Kitty is um, programming a sequence uh, in the danger room to, you know, just uh, work out a little bit and keep her mind off of uh, off of being away from home at the holidays. So, uh, she starts doing this- I'll go ahead uh, and set these all to stun instead of kill. (laughs) Well, luckily she only programmed it as, like, a, uh, basically it's a gym. So, you know, she's able to do some weightlifting, some gymnastics work, all kinds of fun stuff. Oh, nice, and she didn't even have to pay for for a subscription. No, no, the danger room's great that way. (laughs) All it took was leaving her family forever. (laughs) So, she's just like, um- I don't see the point of all this exercising. It's our superpowers that need training, not our bodies. I'm in great shape. I mean, the way things are going, I'll probably turn into a teenage female Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, it's a goal to shoot for. (laughs) (laughs) Also, sweetie, you're going to have to work out your reflexes because you can't phase through a bullet if you don't see the bullet coming. I mean, it's very true. Like, there is, you you got a lot of things to work out being a superhero. It's also going to be real embarrassing if you show up on the scene of a rescue and you go, Ah, oh, fuck, I gotta run upstairs? God, let him die. <laughs> so, uh, she goes onto the, uh, onto the balance beam and does a little bit of a, uh, a gymnastics kind of move where she, uh, she pulls a little something in her thigh. Ouch. Yeah, yeah. And as she's and doing there's this... there's no one there to help her. <laughs> well, she's okay. It, it just was a little twinge, you know? Yes, but she just suffered a leg injury, and there's a monster coming, Andrew! 
There's a monster out there in the snow. I don't know what you're talking about. It's Christmas Eve. There yes, are no monsters do. on Christmas Eve. <laughs> oh, God. So There are no monsters on Christmas. <laughs> and the Christmas ghosts only show up on Halloween. <laughs> Precisely. Don't you know? Don't you know how these holidays work? Uh, clearly, I have a lot to learn. I need to rewatch Nightmare Before Christmas, apparently. Apparently. So, uh, as she's, you know, going through all this, she starts thinking to herself, mm, I shouldn't joke so much about the X-Men. This isn't a game to them. They hide their feelings around me, but whenever they mention Jean Grey, they sound so... sad. It's almost like she died. Well, she continues, She died as an X-Man. <laughs> I could die. <laughs> Coming to this realization now, Kitty. I know you're 13, but come on. You literally fight criminals. Well, they it, have superpowers too. Well, it's one of those things where it's like, um, you know, you know how when you're alone with your thoughts, all the things kind of start to swirl a little bit. So I think that's kind of what's happening here is Kitty, you know, being all by herself and everything. <laughs> and it's Claremont's run, so it's she died as an X-Men. I could die. Like my grandmother died. She never accepted me for being Jewish. Why, grandmother? <laughs> you you don't know how well you're capturing the Claremontian tone, though. I cannot wait until we cover more Claremont books on this show. Oh, we're, we're going to cover so many on this show. I have so Good. many issues from the Claremont run that I want to talk about. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um, as she is, you know, going through this whole, oh man, I could die kind of thought process, uh, there is an alarm that goes off, and um, she's like, that's the burglar alarm. The house computer should be printing out the details on the wall scan screen, Ah, there it is! And it pops up, Possible Intruder, Zone 4. It's okay, Kitty, it's just Santa! He doesn't know you're Jewish. <laughs> so she goes, Zone 4 is upstairs! Aurora's attic! So, uh... Oh god, no, she's been through enough! Leave Storm alone! <laughs> he came back to finish the job! <laughs> he brought so many harpoons! <laughs> so, uh, Kitty starts phasing up through the mansion, and as she's doing so, she's thinking to herself, If there's an intruder when I'm by myself, I'm supposed to call the police, but I think I'd better check things out first. I called him last September during a big windstorm, and it turned out to be a false alarm. A tree branch had blown through the skylight. The cops took it in stride, but I felt like a jerk. This time I'm gonna make sure. Why are we going off on this tangent now? <laughs> because the audience needs to know about it? I guess. Wow, a tree branch crashed through the skylight. It shattered all of the glass. Just like when I broke my neighbor's window. <laughs> Turned out my neighbor had been dead for three weeks. <laughs> it was awful. It was terrible. Anyway, I hope Storm's okay. <laughs> so she continues phasing up through, and uh, her thoughts keep racing as it goes, Even if I do find a burglar, there's nothing to worry about. With my phasing power, there's no way I can be harmed. With my phasing power, I can reach right into his chest and pull his heart out. <laughs> That'll learn him. 
<laughs> and that'll teach you a lesson not to scare helpless ladies. And he's just bleeding out on the fucking ground. <laughs> so uh, she continues to phase up to the attic and she goes, gee, it's gotten awful cold all of a sudden. And she opens the door to uh, Aurora's attic where she finds that uh, the skylight has been smashed in and the cold is uh, coming in from the outside and also, all of Aurora's plants are dead. Dang, I knew winter worked fast, but come on! Well, that's even what she's uh, thinking to herself. She was like, this attic was like a hothouse, and this winter air outside will kill the plants, but not so quickly, so completely. Weird. And then, um, on the ground, she steps into some weird green goop, and... She looks down at it and thinks to herself, that Oh, sound, God. Someone's in here, but who? And she uh, looks up and sees oh the God! demon. Oh, hello. <laughs> now I've trapped you in my random purple square. <laughs> You'll never escape. When I mix red and blue together, my powers are unstoppable! I don't know why I'm Skeletor! <laughs> so, um, the, the demon uh, lunges at Kitty, and she dives through the floor, phasing through, uh, hoping to avoid nice it. Nice reflexes. See, this is what I was talking about reflexes before, Kitty! Precisely, you've learned! But uh, the demon just kind of tears through the, uh, through the floor in order to uh, continue the chase. Oh, shit, he's got phasing powers, too. <laughs> I think they're called claws. Yeah, powers. <laughs> I'm coming for you, bub. That's what people with claws are supposed to say, right? Your impression of Logan is terrible. Shut up. Now I'm going to eat you twice. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the chase continues, and um, she's thinking to herself... Cripes, this thing is as strong as it is ugly, and its claws are as razor sharp as wolverines. It's obvious what it's after. Me! Is that obvious? I think it's just hungry. <laughs> so, uh, in order to avoid it, she again phases through the walls, and naturally the demon continues to follow her, basically between room to room to room. Oh and... my god, this thing is unstoppable! Oh, absolutely. It's and just smashing through walls like the fucking Kool-Aid man. Oh, yeah. And essentially, that's what Kitty's thinking to herself, too. She's like, I can't keep this up forever. That thing will trash the entire house. I can't run for help, either. It could get away or worse. Wait for the police to show up and then tear them apart. Fighting it won't be easy, though. Physically, I'm hopelessly outmatched. I appreciate that she's thinking this all through as this man-eating demon is chasing her through this fucking manor house. Well, yeah, she's strategizing. <laughs> she's very level-headed for a 13-year-old. If I were 13 and this was chasing me, the only thing I would think was, Oh, fuck! Oh, fuck! Oh, fuck! Oh, fuck! Uh, to be fair, she has also had the, uh, you know, she has availed of Charles Xavier's training for the last few months. You act like I didn't when I was 13. Do you have something you want to tell me? Anyway, continue with the plot. <laughs> so, uh, as she's running, she continues to think, But I have a brain. Perhaps I can outwit it. I need to learn how smart that thing is. I pulled a little bit ahead of it. I'll duck down this stairwell, and then while I'm momentarily out of sight, phase through the stairs into the storage closet underneath. And when it, fa and when it finds me again, I'll hand it this calculus test. <laughs> 
Hmm, I never was good at math, but I'll try. <laughs> oh, cripes, there's so much long division. Ah, I am smarter than this thing. <laughs> Everyone knows the answer is 17. So, K- Kitty continues with basically her plan here is, the monster will have to deduce what I've done. The question is, can it do that? I love the idea of Kitty just, like, disappearing into a room and the demon looking around, and then it just pulls out, like, a Sherlock Holmes pipe and just starts smoking <laughs> it as it starts investigating. Hmm. Elementary, my dear Kerok! <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I can, maybe I can get away while it's clearly choking on its own spit. <laughs> so uh, it, it looks like Kitty's plan um, is working because uh, the demon does not follow her into the uh, into the storage closet, and she thinks to herself, oh, "I don't believe I'm taking so much of this in stride. I'm scared yet I'm coping." Sweetie, you're doing you're doing just fine. Considering the circumstances, you're doing great. Oh, she's doing amazingly. And so, um, as she reaches out of the closet, um, she decides that she's gonna try and call the professor on the car phone. And um she uh goes to reach for the phone, when at that moment, um the closet door shatters as the demon lunges at her again. Oh god, it's almost like doors don't stop it! I did figure out that long division. <laughs> the answer was 17. And Kitty um phases as its claws tear through her. But yow. So it goes through her, but she goes, "I felt that. I managed to phase the instant before it hit me, but its attack still hurt. Hurt. <laughs> I've never felt such agony." Oh, God, and she has no physical wound to show it. Oh, exactly, yeah. And Fucking demons. So, with this strike, um, her right arm has gone completely numb. Oh. Which, bad oh. times. I was gonna say, she twinged her one leg, her right arm is numb. She whacks her funny bone on the way out, and she can't use her left arm. Ah, oh, shit, oh, fuck. <laughs> She hits her head on a door frame on the way out, and she has a headache. She just gets more and more debilitating. So, um, essentially she figures, you know, she's got to figure out a way to, um, you know, outwit it here. So she thinks to herself, I can't call for help, I can't run, I have no alternative. I have to fight and beat it on my own. I'll make my stand here in the danger room. (laughs) <laughs> good luck with that, honey. <laughs> well, I, that's a pretty good idea, actually, because, I mean, Charles tries to kill his students on a regular basis, so... That is fair! We're gonna see the full fatal effects of this nightmare room that Charles has built into his house to train teenagers. So, basically, what Kitty is doing is uh, she's thinking to herself that she is programming the most dangerous possible sequences for the danger room, and... Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> And, um, she basically is like, The system has built-in safety interlocks to prevent anyone from being seriously injured, but if I hit the monster often enough with everything the room has, I think I can knock it silly. And at the very least, this should keep it occupied long enough for me to contact the professor. This mode is labeled only for Scott Summers, and she hits it and, like, 40 spears just erupt from all sides. (laughs) 
This one's called Fuck You Warren, Your Term Paper Was Late. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I liked Warren. (laughs) So that's where he went. So as she's finishing uh, programming the sequence, uh, the demon smashes through into the control room of the danger room. Kitty, you gotta start barricading these doors. I know, right? Push a chair in front of it or something. Well, I mean, she even mentioned earlier that the walls and doors of the mansion are very reinforced, and it's just tearing through them like tissue paper. Seriously, it busted through three walls and a closet door to get to her. I don't think this one's gonna be any different. No, probably not, but it does look like a nice steel door there. Oh, I didn't know the demon was Kryptonian. (laughs) I was hoping you'd pick up on that one. Anyway, so um, so Kitty phases through out of the control room, and uh, the demon jumps through the window after her. And essentially, they uh, leap into the danger room, and since it's a big empty room, you know, the demon is pretty convinced that, you know, it's just gonna kill her. And then from out of nowhere, a whole bunch of metal cylinders just launch out of the wall and just nail this demon. Oh, God, my one weakness! Random pipes! Ow! Jesus! How did he know? I love the idea of the demon rolling up on Kitty, like, At last, I've got you right where I want you! Ow! It's fucking pelted by this bur- this Gatling gun barrage of random metal pipes. <laughs> so in order to shield himself from the metal pipes, he uh, pulls up part of the floor... Uh, as a makeshift shield. and That's then, pretty smart. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, as he's doing this, he's hit by a flame jet. Charles Xavier's <laughs> favorite tool of choice. <laughs> this has turned into a fucking slapstick bit. <laughs> he goes uh, to chase after her and a fucking punching glove on a spring just blows him off his feet. <laughs> <laughs> blows him back to a staircase just, ah! <laughs> maybe I should bring back the circus music yes please <laughs> he so, finally opens a door and a cream pie just slams into his face mm, lemon meringue so Kitty's Kitty's basically here like uh, she thought she was going to be up in the booth in order to avoid all this. Uh, but oh, now fuck. she's dodging, you know, the most dangerous sequence she programmed. So she's phasing her way through fucking lasers and buzz saws and, like, spiky balls and stuff like that. Yeah, this shit can just pass right through her. She's just, she can just skip through this entire thing. Just hum da dum da dum da dum Meanwhile, the demon, ah, ah, oh, God, ah, oh, fuck, well, you'd think so, but um, she reaches the edge of the wall and um, bumps into it because it's got a uh, random energy pattern that is preventing her phasing through it. And uh, so that gives the demon a second to, you know, make a couple of strikes. And she's like, doesn't this walking horror ever slow up? I'm pushing myself as hard as I can and I'm barely staying ahead of it. The monster's getting mad and I'm getting tired. God damn, this thing is skin and bones, but it's durable as shit. Absolutely. I mean, this thing is a demon from another dimension. Uh, Storm took out like 13 of them at the start of it. Those were smaller. Okay, we'll accept (laughs) that as an excuse. I mean, this one's had time. 
So yeah, um, it has had time to kill random couples in the forest. <laughs> so uh, she's starting to get her second win, but her adrenaline high is uh, starting to wear off. And she's like, I don't believe it. This monster's wrecked the danger room, but was it hurt in the process? I don't know. It's so hard to tell. The monster's screaming, but is that pain or rage or something completely different? I can assure you it is all of the above. Fuck your house. And also, I just received an eviction notice. (laughs) And yet I still won't stay here. (laughs) So, naturally, uh, the chase begins again. Um, And so Kitty phases out of the danger (laughs) room. Play the fucking, like, powerhouse, like, Looney Tunes chase. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, Kitty phases through the floor and starts running for, um, the Blackbird hanger. And she's Oh, shit, that's right! Chekhov's Blackbird! Chekhov's Blackbird! (laughs) And she's like, "I I can't afford... I've no margin for error. If I foul up again, if I guess wrong, I'm dead. Dead. Not the sort of thing your typical healthy 13-year-old is supposed to think about. I don't want to die. Kitty, this is no time for soap opera monologues. (laughs) There is a demon coming to rip your face off. Well, she continues, that's scary. But what's more scary is the thought that if this thing kills me, there'll be no one to warn the X-Men of the monster's existence. It'll catch them off guard when they return home and they'll be slaughtered. Oh, Kitty, that's very selfless and loving of you. A demon is coming to rip your face off! (laughs) Run faster! So she goes, It almost caught me, but fire forced it away. Is it vulnerable to intense heat? Too bad I don't have some king-sized flamethrowers handy. They used them to fight the monster in that movie. It didn't work, though, but I remember what did. Oh, boy, I just hope it works as well for me. I sure wish I had some king-sized flamethrowers, but Professor X only uses those on his students. <laughs> They're only in the floor of the danger room. We don't just have those lying around. Is she grabbing a fucking warhead? Uh, she is grabbing onto what is, uh, quote, a high-speed subway monocar uh, to get her down to where the Blackbird hangar is. This is in the house? Yeah. They just have the fucking Disneyland monorail in the basement of their manor house? Apparently, yeah. I mean, I guess they also have the fucking jet in a secret underground compartment in their house. So the monorail isn't that crazy. Yeah, I mean, like, from the fact that they have a military-grade jet down there, I would think that the monorail would be the least of your worries. I mean, hell, even all airports have monorails now. (laughs) Hmm. So, uh, Kitty reaches the, uh, reaches the hangar, and, um, she phases into the, uh, into the Blackbird, and, um, she starts through the ignition checklist, which is, uh, obviously what Charles was teaching her at the beginning of the book. Uh-huh, but can she do it blindfolded? <laughs> so, she's starting up the ignition sequence, the demon is running down the uh, the passageway. It's a very tense sequence as uh, she's trying to make sure that she uh, remembers every step and um, tears start to well up in her eyes as she thinks she's uh, forgetting something and trying not to rush through the sequence. And so, um, eventually, right as the demon starts to catch up, um, 
she manages to start the sequence, and from the back of the Blackbird come these two gigantic jets of flame. Fuck yes! Right Everyone in... knows a hell demon's one weakness is fire! <laughs> well, it was repelled by intense heat. I suppose so! <laughs> so. Boy, um... am I glad I popped out of that fucking cairn on Christmas! I hate the summer! <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, the Blackbird basically, uh, takes off and smashes its way down through the hangar, impacting- Oh my god, the this house is obliterated! <laughs> Essentially, Kate, yeah. I get that you're trying to survive, but you have wrecked this entire house! <laughs> so, Kitty phases her way out of the Blackbird and goes, I'm sorry, Blackbird, I wish I could have thought of another way! I love the idea of this thing getting fried by this Jet's afterburners and Kitty going, I did it! I beat it! And all with a little, and just flies forward down this hallway and <laughs> slams into the wall with the plane. <laughs> so the, uh, the automatic sprinklers in the hangar have also malfunctioned. So basically she's going through this whole, uh, this whole flame area and she's thinking to herself, where's the monster? Did I kill it? I had to. Nothing could have survived this holocaust. Nothing! And from out of the flames I did, emerges... I but that's beside the point! And oh, from... God! From out of the flames emerges a purple clawed hand going right for Kitty! The killer always comes back for one last scare! And the caption reads, She has time to scream. No, Kitty! And... We cut to the car arriving back at the uh, back at the mansion. Um, oh my god, the tension. The uh, the caption reads, It's midnight before Professor Xavier's Rolls-Royce returns to the mansion. Icy roads and airport traffic jams caused unexpected delays. An unexpected obstacle was a police roadblock in Salem Center. There had been a series of gruesome murders nearby earlier this evening, the last uncomfortably close to Xavier's school. They found the heads of a random couple impaled on Christmas trees. <laughs> and, um, so they're pulling up to the house here, and uh, Colossus goes, No lights, Professor. That could mean nothing. It is late. Kitty could have gone to bed. Perhaps, Peter. But there is a miasma of evil about the house that in inhibits my telepathic abilities. Check inside. Aurora, stay here to protect the car. I will do my best, Professor. There are no spears in here. <laughs> so, Colossus opens Can the... you imagine? She's fucking, she's fucking protecting the car, leaves it like the front seat, <laughs> and then the demon just pops up in the back seat and impales her through the fucking seat from not the Not fucking God again! God damn it, not again! <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm here to finish business, bitch! <laughs> I just got this synthetic heart! <laughs> so Colossus opens up the door and goes, This is strange. It is significantly colder inside the house than outside. And as he goes inside, Charles goes, I swear I've sensed this particular evil before, but for the life of me, uh, I gee, you think so, when. Prof? It's infuriating! <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, whenever I imagine it, I always picture a cairn exploding. <laughs> so, then they hear that the television is on, and they go into the living room, 
where they find Kitty, uh, wrapped in a pink bathrobe with her hair up in a towel, and um, she's just seated by the like fire. It. I don't like it. It's too picturesque. She's fucking possessed or it's wearing her skin or something. So she runs over and goes, Peter! Oh, wow, thank heavens, it's you! Wait till you hear what happened tonight! You have no idea how happy I am to see you! And from Um... And from behind uh, Colossus, a voice goes, If you're happy to see Peter, kitten, how do you feel about us? And Kitty goes, Mom! Dad! You grew a beard! Both of you! That's <laughs> <laughs> how that line reads. I know! It's, <laughs> I've always thought the same thing. Well, she's looking at her dad, but, you know... <laughs> Your mom's took a while to come in, sweetie, but she worked real hard on it. She made it. We needed a lot of Rogaine. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, meanwhile, the professor, I guess, had time to fix a punch bowl for these people. Um, and goes, I'm so glad you both could make the trip common. Your presence has done wonders for Kitty's morale. And Kitty's dad goes, Charles, to be honest, you couldn't have kept us away. I didn't realize I'd... We'd miss our kitten so much. Our visit, your special Hanukkah surprise, is as much a gift to us as to her. Merry Christmas and Happy Hanukkah, everybody. I had no idea we'd miss our daughter. <laughs> Meanwhile, um, Aurora walks over to Kitty and goes, Kitty, I've just been upstairs to my attic. <laughs> what the fuck happened? Well, that's exactly what she goes. She goes, what precisely happened while we were gone? All of my plants are dead. What did you do? And Kitty responds, I was attacked by a big ugly monster. A monster? Aurora, you had to see it to believe it. We fought. I got lucky. I won. But in the process, we kind of wrecked the danger room. Kitty, you're not going to believe this. (laughs) I'm actually very intimate with these creatures. (laughs) And she goes, Wrecked the danger room, and the blackbird, and the hangar, and a lot of the house. Man, I wish she hadn't told them here, because I love the idea of Professor X like, Well, all these festivities are lovely, but I sure, I sure should go check on how the blackbird's doing after our studies today. And he just rolls out of the room, and then from way far away you hear, Oh god, it's everywhere! <laughs> Everything's in shambles. Oh, the blackbird is totaled. I won't get that deposit back. This it wasn't even insured. How do you insure a military grade jet on a school budget? <laughs> All of my spike balls are melted. My flamethrowers are bent. What did you do to my buzz saws? Oh my god! Do you know how many people at the Board of Education I am going to have to influence in order to get any kind of money back to rebuild? They didn't know I had any of this! How do I explain this to them? I can't make a claim with this! (laughs) (laughs) That's an expensive-ass jet! It is! Absolutely! And it's all gone in one night thanks to this random demon. And Kitty trying to survive. (laughs) So Kitty goes to Aurora. Are you angry? I'm not quite sure, but from the sound of things, I'm fairly certain I should feel terribly proud of you. And 
The narration continues. It had been the closest of close calls. She was too tired and too scared to phase when the demon reached for her. It could have killed her had it got its hands on her. But it was dying on its feet, its unearthly form crumbling into dust with every step. It tried. It made a supreme effort. It failed. Alone, on Christmas Eve, Kitty Pride underwent a rite of passage, a supreme test of her abilities, her intellect, her courage, her... self. She passed. Hey, good for you, Kitty. Merry Christmas, everybody! <laughs> and we end with an image of the demon's dusty corpse on the floor of the hangar. I actually really like that picture. That's a cool-ass image with, like, the ashed hand reaching out across the floor. Isn't it cool? Like, I'm, I'm really kind of into it. I was a thousand percent convinced this last panel was going to be everybody goes to bed for the night and then fucking we see a seam down Kitty's back and this thing just <laughs> peels its way out of the flesh suit it's made out of her fucking body. <laughs> no, no, nothing, uh, nothing that gruesome. So there we I've go. I've seen a lot of horror movies. I know how this goes. Yeah. <laughs> so there we go. That's our second Christmas story. What did you think? I think this was the Halloween story I originally wanted. This was fucking <laughs> fantastic. I Isn't it good? Isn't it good? This, like, this was a perfectly self-contained monster movie. It really was. And as an homage to Alien, it's freaking brilliant. I can definitely see the influences of Alien. I like that we just focused on Kitty. Mm -hmm. I love the other X-Men for sure. Uh, but I love that this was her story of survival all by herself at her rite of passage. You see that in a lot of, like, slasher movies where the final girl is usually, like, you know, the nerd, the mm -hmm. bookworm, or something like that. And sure. then by the end of it, she's a badass that, you know, burns the killer or chops its head off with an axe or something like that. And kind of comes into her own, learns her own strength. And we see that with Kitty here. Oh, totally, yeah. I mean, this, um, this was the first real test that she's had as an X-Man. Like, uh, the previous missions, the previous mission that she was on during Days of Future Past was when she was, um, inhabited by the mind of her, um, adult self with a lot more experience and a lot more practice. So the fighting that Kitty did in those issues was way more polished than she was able to do at this time, but this was a great way to show that even this Kitty who is more fundamentally inexperienced than the kitty that we saw previously, well, Kate, rather, because it's her adult self, um, is just as capable and just has, as, has just as much potential, even if it still needs a bit more seasoning. They're able, they're the same person. Mm -hmm. So Kitty is able to achieve everything that her future self achieves if she just applies herself. Yeah, absolutely. It's... It's a really good character study of Kitty, and I'm very fond of this issue for that reason. I, I had a lot of fun. I am very fond of this because I love horror movies and monster movies, and this gave me everything I love about them, plus superheroes. See, I knew that you would like this one, which is why um, I, uh, I I initially had another uh, Christmas comic in mind for uh, for this season that I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold it in reserve until next year. So uh, we'll be looking forward to that. That one has more of a, you know, really feel-good kind of Christmassy thing. But I figured, you know, to make up for Halloween, this would be a great, uh, <laughs> a great story to, uh, to kind of pivot into, you know? 
You know what? I I love it. Thank you very much, sir. This was a lovely Christmas gift. Oh, you're you're very welcome. So, uh, what would you say was the wackiest character and wackiest situation in this thing? I'm going to give wackiest character in this one to the demon. Okay. <laughs> uh, both for, like, its canonical view and also just the dumb Skeletor version we created for this episode. <laughs> but I love that this demon escaped the fate of its peers and then just did fuck all for an entire year. <laughs> I have no idea where that where that thing was. Where it's did true. it go? What did it do? We heard nothing about it for a whole fucking year, and then it wakes up one day and went, these horny kids must die, and kills this fucking couple. <laughs> now to kill a 13-year-old ghost girl. <laughs> no, that, that's very fair. I, I, I didn't think of it that way, but that's very fair. It's mo- yeah, it's mostly just he- the fact that the <laughs> demon did nothing for an entire year that really got me with that character. Gotcha, As yeah. for wackiest scenario, I probably have to give it to Storm getting impaled through the chest and being completely <laughs> fine. On the first page? <laughs> well, it was the first page with the act, but then it's like, everyone, I brought the car around. You should be in bed. <laughs> You uh, suffered a grievous, horrific injury. Why are you just okay? To be fair, that was a year ago. Oh, yeah. Uh, let me just get impaled through the fucking <laughs> chest. I'm sure I'll be okay in a year. <laughs> well, she's been through a lot of things since then. We we, we covered that already. <laughs> God, I would not want to live in a comic book world because they go through so much nightmarish traumatic crap. All in the span of a year. <laughs> All in the span of a year, and then they shake it off like it's no big fucking deal. <laughs> I know. Um, okay, so for me, wackiest character, um, I've got to give it to Nightcrawler and his, um, speck <laughs> on the cheek that nearly got him killed. By I was going to say, not Wolverine for almost flaying his friend after uh, a little kiss on the cheek. No, no, I'm not going to give it to Logan. I'm going to give it to Kurt for doing it in the first place and then for making fun of Colossus for getting a similar peck on the cheek from Kitty. So, okay, um, fair. He's just having a lot of fun, and um, I, I'm, I'm down with it. I'm down with all the fun that Kurt's having. Uh, Kurt's been through enough. He deserves to have some fun. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, wackiest situation is Scott and his reaction to um, Lee <laughs> Forrester on the boat. <laughs> is it bad that I fucking forgot about that whole sequence? Not at all. Um, in the grand scheme of things, it, it matters very little to the self-contained story of this issue. This is what I mean about Claremont's plotting, where he'll like put something in that he'll play around with for um, uh, future storylines. Like... Um, the next issue, um, as is teased at the end of this, is uh, all about Cyclops, actually, and uh, his fun times on the boat with Lee. Oh, okay. That might have to be something we cover in the future, just because after this episode, we know Scott can't handle the idea of sailors having titties. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But so, yeah, that that I, I'm giving it to Scott's reaction upon realizing that Lee Forrester is a woman. <laughs> I like it. I like it. That is a good choice. Well, that concludes our Christmas episodes for the year. We recorded an episode. People record a lot of things. My uncle used to record music. 
God, he was so good. He could play the guitar like nobody else. All right, I'm going to have to cut off your uh, your Claremontian narration there to say uh, thank you once again for tuning into this episode of This Is Getting Graphic. Uh, we're so grateful that you stuck with us through our holiday episodes, and we've got some very exciting new episodes coming up in the new year, so uh, we hope that you uh, you stick with us for uh, for those as well. Uh, in the meantime, uh, we'd like to uh, say that uh, if you liked this episode, um, please recommend it to uh, friends, loved ones, uh, like, share, uh, comment on social media if you'd like. We are on social media, in fact. Uh, we have Facebook at This Is Getting Graphic and Twitter at This Graphic Pod. We've also got a TikTok over at This Is Getting Graphic, or if you'd like to forego those and get in touch with us directly, you can also send us an email over to uh, this is getting graphic at gmail.com. Uh, we'd also like to give a thank you to Alex Hanbury, whose um, art is uh, on this podcast, and um, also uh, for being a good friend of the pod and uh, listening to uh, these uh, these episodes before they come out, which is great. Absolutely. We fucking love you, Alex. Uh, we also need to give a big thank you over to, of course, the lovely Mozart Mouse, who can be found over on the website Pond5. Uh, that is where we acquired the theme for this show, which is known as the Super Guy theme. If you enjoyed this music, you can find much more royalty-free music over on Pond5. You sure can. And with that, everyone, um, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, uh, Joyous Kwanzaa, whatever other uh, holidays are going on at this time of year. And uh, we hope to see you in the new year. And remember, everybody, if you have a demon in your house, all you need to do is turn on your afterburners on your jet. <laughs> this has been advice from This Is Getting Graphic. Happy holidays, everyone, and stay super. Game over, man. It's game over.